This is a podcast from the Queen City Podcast Network. Hey, everybody. It is Tim Miner alongside my uh, creative co-conspirator, right? That's right. Matt, Matt Olin here. Matt Olin for... I can't believe it. This is our 100th one zero zero podcast. 100th podcast episode. That apparently it it's official that there is no uh, our our supply of words and oxygen that we were you know willing to uh consume and then dispel as as uh, carbon dioxide is limitless. We'll, I personally thought that Balto and the fine folks at Queen City Podcast Network were going to give us each a gold watch when we hit 100. But oh, apparently I actually, that's I not... they were going to give us the golden boot. <laughs> um, but, you know, it has been our privilege over the last few years to bring to you conversations with the creatives, local based Charlotte creatives that um, just really inspire us and people that we feel have something valuable to give to you. And selfishly, we just like talking to them. And it's been another creative ride that you and I have taken together, Matt. And Mm -hmm. I think this 100th episode is no exception. We sit down and talk to local fashion icon, Howard University graduate, uh, Creative Entrepreneurs Mm. Initiative Mm. graduate, Mm. and just genuinely one of the most honest, loving magnetic human beings that I've ever met, Will White. Yeah. Oh, man. I I love Will White. And uh, it is kind of appropriate that he's our 100th podcast guest because in a way, like the way I feel when I'm done talking to Will White is the way I would hope, would aspire to, like anything we put out in the world would make people feel that lit up, that inspired, that warm. And so it just, I don't know, he's a he's a great model for that. For, yeah. For us. I, I think that listeners, you're in for an amazing treat because He's one of those guys that simultaneously makes you think, I'm not doing enough. <laughs> but at the same time, just it makes you feel loved and inspired and ready to get out there and share yourself and your talent with the world. It's a treat. Well, folks, enjoy our conversation with Will White for our, our 100th episode of the Charlotte is Creative Podcast. All right, and don't, don't, don't celebrate too much, Matt, because 101 is right around the corner. That's right. Wow. Hey, this is everybody. This is Tim Miner, uh, co-founder of Charlotte is Creative and co-host of the Biscuit Podcast or the Charlotte is Creative Podcast or whatever you want to call it. I'm caught unawares. Yeah, because, because I just said we're getting we're getting ready to, to go. And Matt Olin, Matt, please introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Matt Olin. I'm the other co-host of the Charlotte is Creative Podcast, who is almost always the leadoff hitter. Balto, our incredible producer, gestures to us to get started, and then Matt go, just puts his hand out to me. I don't know. I to thought talk I, just felt, so I, I felt I was feeling generous with, to sort of you know allow you to kick us off <laughs> if you felt so moved. Otherwise, I'm moved. You're moved. I am so moved. Well, get moving. So no, everybody, thank you for tuning in to the latest uh, and I guess very discombobulated uh, <laughs> <laughs> batch of. Uh, the Charlotte is Creative podcast. Uh, again, I'm Tim. This is Matt. We're really excited today to spend some time with a creative in Charlotte that we both truly admire. Will White, fashion icon, yes, creator extraordinaire, um, man of much wisdom, and someone that both Matt and I are very proud to call friends. Or f- no uh, a friend. doubt, no doubt. Um, Will, it's 
awesome to be sitting across the uh, the podcast table from you here. Oh my gosh. Thank you guys for having me. I'm so excited. Of course, of course. And what's cool is that you were just our speaker at Creative Mornings uh, last week. Yes. Um, you tackled our global theme of pride and we gathered uh, uh, at Camp North End in that beautiful Gamma Goat uh, building space. Um, and you really wowed that audience. You had them in the palm of your hand. You had them um, feeling all all the feels, as 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 we say, and um, too kind. So, which, is, which is not a, which is not a shock because you right. know uh, everybody that that meets you will just kind of instantly falls in love. Uh, we've had the honor of spending a lot of time with you this year, as you were a member of the uh, the spring twenty twenty three. Uh, creative Entrepreneurs Initiative cohort. Yes. Uh, and then it's getting to know you there. We've wanted to introduce you to everybody we meet. I mean, we took you to over to WBTV to be on QC Life, and they're ready to make was you like, a co-host. Yeah, it, it was <laughs> like, it, it was like I, I wasn't even in the room. They were under your spell almost immediately. And I, I think it's because, if you'll allow me the indulgence to I, say... I will, I will allow it. In the course of life... You know, we've been fortunate to meet a lot of creatives in this city, and you meet people who are passionate, you meet people who are authentic, you meet people who are honest and collaborative, you meet people who have the talent to back up their ambition, but it's rare that you find someone that has all of those qualities, you know, and a lot of humility, and you are that rare individual who um, is wise beyond his years, who has talent coming out of his pores, but who stops and makes time for people to be your authentic self, to help them along their career path, and to not be um, competitive, to be someone that sees that all ships rise with the tide. And and so it's just been an honor getting to know you and to spend this time with you to share your story with other people is a real privilege. Well, thank you. And the tears are this close. So <laughs> I appreciate you. Darn, so I didn't much. get you there. Oh, that was my goal. Yeah, you can step back up to the plane a little while here, too. Um, well, listen, uh, we usually like to start off, from time to time, we like to start off with uh, kind of a lightning round. Yeah. You know, just some questions that you don't have to think too much about. Just like, you know, you know the answers to these questions. So it'll be ra- sort of rapid fire, if you will. And it's so, better if you don't think. Okay. Better if you don't think. So, so we'll just start with here. Are are you an organic food guy, or are you a you know run to the uh, you know the Cheetos guy? What what what's your what's your brand? I'm a cost effective guy. Cost effective. I, yeah, I will Ooh. say I'm at the age now where things definitely let me know what my body sure. feels about what I just ate. Mm-hmm. But I, it doesn't have to be organic. But I definitely try to infuse some some fruits and veggies in there. That's good. Wow. Okay, I'm inspired. I, I, need, I to, need to I need to adopt a little bit more of of that. <laughs> All right. Have you seen a UFO, a ghost, or a ghost in a UFO? <laughs> or the ghost of an alien? I, any of those things would be really cool. I would say ghost, but only in pictures. Like, see okay. the orbs, like all those things. Sure. Yeah. All, right, all right, so then the follow-up would be, you're in a house. You, 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 and, your, you know, and your wife move into a beautiful house. You've got your, your new child and all that, and then you hear, like, get out. <laughs> like, what do you do? We pack our stuff, we get on up, and we get up out of there. That's the only correct answer, man. Don't fight that. No, not at all. Come on, who hasn't seen Poltergeist? Get out of the house. You know, Tim, you may not know this, but I've, I've actually believe I've seen a UFO before. I do know that. And it was at, I don't know if you'll remember this, but it was at um, Governor's School at Salem College. Mm-hmm. And I remember sitting and looking up in the sky one night from my dorm room, and I saw a 
this crazy, you know, thing moving in the air, and it was it was amazing. It, it didn't move like anything else. You did know? Did you lose any time? Did you wake up like three hours later and your shirt was backwards <laughs> or something like that? No, because that might actually, if you've been probed, that would explain quite a bit. A lot. It would absolutely. <laughs> um. Uh, all right. Wait. No. Wait. Yeah. We. No. See. Now gonna, you you want to stay on this? Okay. We can stay right, on this. Right, well, no. That. It's not that. But uh, it's it's a it's a related question. Okay. Will have you ever seen a Sasquatch or a Yeti? <laughs> no. No. Oh, it sounded like there was a butt there. I, right. I I'm like, like wait, the... let, me, let me. Have you seen a really hairy person that you admit it first thought was might be a Sasquatch? <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Somebody that you're like, you need to get to you need wax some there. exfoliation right now. <laughs> uh, all right. Matt, have you ever seen a Sasquatch? I think so. And where might you have seen this this Sasquatch, was, who is, by the way, an Arctic creature? Yes. It was in the fourth grade in Orlando, Florida. In Florida. Technically Longwood, vacation. Florida, he which just, is the... No, Mr. no, we lived there. We lived there for. A year no, I'm saying Mr. Squatch just wanted to Mr. roll Squatch down to Orlando to south. check out Disney. <laughs> Everyone needs a little time away. Okay, and how many steps did it take him to get across the road? Two steps. Two steps. He yeah. crossed it, yeah. and they did. He push you off a wall. He did. He, he did. did. He pushed you off a wall. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I don't know if anyone's interested in any of that, but uh, <laughs> at any rate, all right. Will, are you a uh, troublemaker or are you a peacemaker, or maybe maybe both? I'd say blend of both. Both. Okay. I, I withhold my troublemaking until some trouble needs to be made. Nice. Yeah. Wait, okay. No way. Yeah, that's a whole... What kind of trouble? What's good trouble? So for me, good trouble is like sticking up for the underdog, speaking up when you find no one else is really speaking up about mm-hmm. something that's wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, but sense. then you don't... But you don't like it when people are kind of upset. I, I, I don't. Like, I don't like to see people bullied, picked on, but I will say there have been some other troublesome moments in my past. Definitely wasn't almost sneak into carowinds when I was a teenager. Sure. Ooh, I mean, that's part yeah. of, you know, you gotta, it's sort of like wired in our DNA as teenagers. You gotta, you gotta sh- try to break some rules. That's and, it. You know, that sort of a thing. Were you ever bullied growing up? I wasn't. I yeah. surprisingly, like, snuck under the radar with that. I was the new kid more often than not, but mm. yeah. I feel like I had a similar personality style growing yeah. up, too. Like, I was always the person that was out front. And yeah. Typically, like, I would make friends really, really fast. Yeah, that, I'm not surprised by that at all. I we're can, we're yeah. getting grown up, Will, here, but I could see him as a But I can, too. I mean, those kinds of skills are planted really early. So if you were, if you are a transplant, often, yeah, you've got to, you either become a loner or you have to be really good at accumulating people's trust and friendship really quickly. That's it. Would you say that other people in your family, whether it was one or more, you know, your parents or whatever, like, were they equally affable and outgoing? Or is this something that you were just sort of, like, born with? My mom is definitely life of the party material. She is that lady who's never met a stranger. She's yeah. funny, goofy. I think I get a lot of that from her. But yeah. my dad is like the diplomat. He's like really personable and yeah. really, uh, really, really cordial. Nice. All right. Since we're in the youth, you know, portion of the of the questions, did you have a nickname as a kid, and what was it? <laughs> yes, I have. A, I still have a nickname. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone in my family calls me Junie. Junie, mm-hmm. are you gonna have to? You're gonna have to to explain that one to us. So I recently found out the discovery behind the name. So I'm a junior. So you didn't even know why you were being called. I didn't know junior? why. I had an assumption. Like I was like, oh, like maybe like because I am a junior. My my dad's name is William Jerome White Senior, right. and so I was like, oh, they just kind of shortened it for Junie. But I have a second cousin who was my dad's first cousin who they nicknamed him Junie, and my dad just liked the name, so oh. stuck. All right, okay, I like that. Yeah. It's just kind of like, uh, 
you know, why did I like it? It just was cool. Yeah. It just sounded cool. Now, does the other Junie, how does he feel about you appropriating his name? His name. He loves it. Oh. He loves it. Yeah. We're like bosom buddies namesake. Yeah. All right. I love that. All right, Will. Have you ever read Fifty Shades of Grey? <laughs> I have not. <laughs> Neither have I, actually. Have seen the movie, though, and the sequel. Well, there were two. Did you see both of those? I think the third one was so forgettable that I don't even remember. <laughs> but uh, I'm not sure. That's when the aliens took you. That's the missing time. That you can either be abducted by aliens or watch the Fifty Shades of Grey movies, and they're like, where did that time go? I don't know. It's just a blank spot. That's in my what mind. they put on when they're doing their experiments on you. Just watch this movie. All right. Will, do you like to make the rules or do you like to break the rules? I'm definitely rule maker. Yeah. Rule maker. Okay. So the discipline that you, you like knowing, you like having parameters up that you can work on. Yeah. And if they don't exist, I like to create them so that I can adhere to the rules that I made. <laughs> now, that, so you've opened up a fascinating. So is that something that you want? For yourself, or do you feel like other people need to abide by those rules that you create or the parameters you set up? I think I think I, I have enough grace to understand that people are going to do what they want to do at mm-hmm. the end of the day. But at least if I know that I have prefaced the rule, then I won't get in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I like that. That's Eddie. That's smart. All right. I think this one is my final question for you in this lightning round. Uh, do you like to dance and or sing in the car or, or, or anywhere really? Is this, is this something you enjoy doing? Oh, for sure. This is definitely uh, a time, uh, a pastime with me, my son, and even my wife. I'll get on her nerves in the car too. And what's on heavy rotation these days for you? Man, right now, I actually, I just left my studio and I was playing, uh, just all the Janet Jackson hits. Oh, nice. Blasting it in the hallways. I like that callback. Yeah. Control and, uh, yeah. Control straight through an album? What? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Top to bottom. It is. It is. There's it's, not a week. It's been link. a while for me. I need to. I'm gonna dive back into that one. That's good. Oh my gosh! Like most of the the major Janet songs that you think of are all on that album. Right. Yeah. All right. Last. This is my last question too. Um, do you? Well, it's actually a two parter. So, do you like to be asked to help? I yes, I do. But I normally will find place to offer help before I'm asked. Okay. Yeah. So you're proactive on that. Yeah. Like that. So then when it's flipped around on you, uh, do you have a hard time asking for help, or is that something that easy, comes easily to you? Well, <laughs> I'm in therapy. <laughs> now we're getting into it. <laughs> I'm in therapy, and it is actually a, a huge challenge for me to ask mm-hmm. for help. Yeah. 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 I think that's for people that not only say, yeah, I like to be asked for help, but in your case, say, oh, I like seek out times yeah. for me to help. Of course I'll help. It, it's Always the other side of the coin is always no nah, man. I hate, yes, hate asking for help. It's such a trait. So and then and so I'm glad you mentioned you're in therapy. I'm a lifelong fan and a practitioner, uh, but uh, or consumer, I guess I'm not a practitioner. Uh, I'm a consumer. Why don't you of say therapy. you're a beneficiary. Beneficiary, yeah, exactly. But you're saying that this uh, struggle with getting comfortable asking for help. Uh, and it's not all being on your shoulders. This is kind of a, a headline piece of work for you in, in that in those rooms. It's huge. Like yeah. honestly, I'd say right when I hit kind of a, a a wall where I was like really inundated with a lot of things and like under a pretty decent amount of stress, my therapist was just like, "Well, who are you getting to help you with these things?" And I'm like, "Well, I don't want to bother them, and I know <laughs> I've taken these things on." He's like, "Well, you will implode if you don't." Yeah, right. And so like every week I'm doing a check in, like, and they're like, "Well." 
who'd you ask for help this week? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's the, I mean, that impulse that we're a burden to anyone that we ask for help for I, is so root, deep-rooted. I, I, it resonates over here big time, because I have those impulses as well. And it's taken me years, and I'm still working on it, to sort of flip that and go, actually, when you ask someone for help on something that you're... Um, really committed to or whatever like it's actually a gift to them yes in in many cases you know you're kind of giving them a gift that they can be a part of whatever you're creating or building or or doing yeah i applaud you for for confronting that now because you know i matt and i both turned 50 this year which is not old (laughs) yeah (laughs) i would love to get out of my 50s Uh, (laughs) that would be awesome yeah 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 um, but I, that, that, that is something that we struggle with too. Like when you don't ask for help, there's so many different ways it could go, right? It could be, I don't trust anybody else. Yeah. Right. It could be, no one is going to do it as well as I'm going to do it. Some sense of control, but it is that burden. Matt will tell you, even, you know, with me being gone last, last week, um, it took me full four days and Matt writing at least five emails going, you're not burdening us being gone. Stop <laughs> emailing. You know, like we're happy to do this mm-hmm. for you. And I, I do think that's that's true. You, you put it out. Other people can say, I can help you or I can't help you right now. Yeah. Um, but you are saying to them, I, you're somebody I trust. You're somebody I would really love to bring into this process. And that is a gift. It can be a gift. Unless you're calling them. 24 hours before you need something. Uh, right. And you're like, okay, now I'm absolutely screwed. I think there's a difference between, I'd love for you to be a part of this and help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. All right. So let's jump into this. Yeah, I mean, I want to go back to your roots, roots, like uh, mm. NYC. In my heart, New York City is one of my other homes, right? Like, I wish I had another home in New York City to so, visit, but I don't. Yes. It's, it's just, it's a home sort of emotionally and spiritually for me. Um, what part of New York were you born in? So I'm originally from Manhattan. I was born in Manhattan. Yep. And then when I was really little, we moved over to Jersey. Mm-hmm. Move, moved over to Clifton initially. Yep. And then, so the whole time, though, we always go, went to church to, in Jamaica, Queens. So every Sunday and every Friday and every Wednesday, we would be across the bridge going to Queens to go to church. And just growing up with that duality of, of mind, I guess, right. it was just beautiful like I always was a part of people moving and shaking and things moving uh, that had nothing to do with me and I was always like kind of amazed by everything going on around me do you remember just out of curiosity what were were you born in a hospital and if so do you know which one it was my mom said what she said she said it was women's hospital and it's right there in midtown or used to be in midtown and then now it's gone through like two different names and I think it's still a hospital today. Now it's, it's probably luxury apartments. I'd be right. curious. I, I'd like to. I'm going to research yeah. that because my daughter was born in a West Side Midtown hospital, um, and it might be the same. It one might very well be the same one. Yeah. Um, but you know, you describe yourself, and by all accounts, absolutely, you you and your career resides at that crossroads of high, uh, high art and and fashion design. Yeah. And uh, those are two incredible sort of elements that are big in the New York area as well. Do you think some of this was infused in you from a very early age, just just like 
growing up in that part of the country or does it come more from like your family or something? Oh no, that's absolutely it. Like my, my family, like they're, you know, humble people. Like my, uh, my grandparents, they lived on a dirt road till I was probably like 10. Mm -hmm. Then they finally paved the road. But (laughs) it's one of those things like just being in that area, you get to be paralleled with so many people of differing economic statuses Mm -hmm. and like you could literally be walking right next to a billionaire that has a $5,000 leather jacket on and being able to see those things and as I got older and still working in the city I was working in Soho for a while you get to just dream as you're walking through life and I think I always internalize those things I always internalize these beautiful people in these beautiful clothes and was just always just adjacent to the fashion industry you know that being familiar with or mixed in with folks of different cultures, different social, you know, strata. That is so important. Like last year, um, the New York Times wrote a story about it, uh, a report that had been created where, you know, we've spent so much time in this country looking at how do people become successful? And the approach for so long has been throwing money at it, right? And this Mm. report said that the true way to do it is to know people from from an at an early age, or at least be surrounded by people of different economic strata. So mm-hmm. people that are that are well off should know people that are not as well off as they to yeah. give them perspective. People in the middle. And that, you know, that kind of understanding that there are other ways to live, other so many ways to make a career, so many ways to comport yourself, that's that melting pot allows those dreams to come together and to to envision where you could go. But without it it's a little, it's pretty limiting. I, I guess I would ask then, when you came from, from an environment like that, and then you came to live in Charlotte in the South, mm-hmm. what was that experience like for you? So, <laughs> uh, I moved down probably two months before high school. So it was two months before m- middle school was over, actually. And so I was... A wreck. I cried the whole ride, like because at this point you're in eighth grade, like you've kind of, you know, like I said, I was I was new for the most part, but that kind of rung of life was right. three years of me being in the same school. Yeah. And so at this point I'm at the top of my game. Yeah, like you got friends. I'm in the school play. I yeah. got friends. Yeah. And then they're that, like, and you were gonna take that with you to high school, right? Yes. You're gonna take all that cachet with you. Yeah, I was gonna go Clifton High. You know what I'm saying? I was gonna right. be that guy at Clifton High. Yeah. And right. so my parents were like, well no, we're moving. And I had absolutely no say in it because obviously kid <laughs> was 90s. it a job transfer or something like that? It was and actually it ended up being probably the best thing for yeah. us because yeah. my my dad was working in the World Trade Center at the time oh, wow. mm. before we moved, and we moved the year before the attacks. Wow, wow. Yeah, it was crazy. Holy cow. Yeah. Well, interestingly enough, I mean, both Matt and I moved to Charlotte when we were in high school. So I was, it was the summer before my freshman year of high school, so ex- not exactly the same as you, but that time frame where I remember crying and saying to my parents, like, I've been building towards this thing, yeah. right? I've I've got I have plans. Out of this. I got a life. I have plans, <laughs> and it did end up for me being the best possible time to move. But it's really cataclysmic at the moment. Yeah. Where do you turn to stay in touch with the city around you? Broadcast news isn't what it used to be, and commercial radio doesn't scratch that itch. If only there was one place you could get it all, when you want, wherever you want, on your schedule, there is the Queen City Podcast Network. 
Listen to your city on your schedule at queencitypodcastnetwork.com and everywhere you get your podcasts. So you landed here in Charlotte and then started to rebuild your social structure, I guess. Yes, it was it was a challenge because especially that last two months of middle school, like mm-hmm. I, I didn't know if I was going to get out there and, and make any friends. Right. And, but I did start to get to know people. And by the end of it, I was doing OK. Right. But then you have the fresh start of freshman year. Psst, hit him in the head. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 And what was it? What? How was it moving? You know, moving here and and the, and it being so different than the environment that you came from in New York. I'd New say Jersey. it was a huge kind of culture shock because I think there was so much access in New York, and the the way of thinking at that time was so so open and advanced. And I think down here there was like a huge difference between the way people kept up with you and and the way that people interacted with you. And I was almost a little jarred by sure. everything yeah. around me. I was like, well, am I going to make it down here? Like, do I even like it down here? And I think after a, a while, I was able to finally catch up and get my own footing. Yeah. Yeah. And plus, you know, the city itself was developing. It was maturing. And there was lots of influx of people from major metropolitan areas that bring that sort of sensibility and open thinking with them. Yeah. Yes. And I, I would say, like, for those that are, you know, have been in Charlotte four or five years Charlotte in the you know right around the turn of the millennium very different very different yep. city. Oh yeah, very different city. For sure. Um so during those years, I mean, what sort of creative outlet? I heard you said that you were in the school plays. So were you a theater rat for a while, like treading the boards? I was more a theater rat in middle school than I was in high school. But in high school, I still signed up for drama club. I was, yeah. I'm actually a member of the National Thespian Society. You are! Hey. Yes. Got the stall and everything. Mama. <laughs> wow. Now that's a shock. <laughs> <laughs> Get it framed and everything. Yeah. I should do that. I still have it. I'm like one of those pack rat people that will keep yeah. things. You've got you've got the archive. So someday the so the Will White Museum is already started. The archives have already been established. <laughs> it's gonna be stacked. All right. <laughs> but yeah, like so I, I made sure to stay in in theater arts. I made sure to find whatever I was kind of creatively moved towards. I even started my own little business in really? in high Ooh, school. What was yeah. that? I so it was my first foray into fashion design. So I could always draw. I was an illustrator. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I thought of was like, oh, I discovered fabric paint. And I was wondering if I could draw on some shirts with Mm -hmm. this fabric paint, maybe people would buy it. I did one for myself. Before you know it, people are coming to me. They're like, "Oh, I want a shirt. I want a shirt." And of really? course, it was it was terrible. I, I I very much needed a CEI back then <laughs> for myself. I was like, it was like ten dollars a shirt. I was losing money out the door, you know. But I enjoyed it. I, I had a business, and you were you, like selling to your fellow classmates and stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah people yeah. would come up to me like, and I was I was self marketed. I was walking around here with like a, a SpongeBob shirt that like had a, a backwards hat on it. I was like, I was. <laughs> Hey, and I'm, I'm sure we're going to get into this a little bit later, but I mean, that was just modeled for the future, right? When you've heard, you've gotten feedback from from professional reviewers saying your style is the style you need to be leaning into. So yes. you, you've been doing that forever. I think it's, you also got that experience of building something. Yeah. You know, that's, that's something that, an experience that um, I think everyone should have, but too few people do, of really taking an idea, putting it in the world, and then sweating it out and building it. Yes, 
So I guess that would, I, I want to go back just a one step and say, what was it? Because you are a creative person, right? You're an illustrator, you're an actor, you just do, you do so many things. What was it about fashion that you said, this is the outlet, even in high school, mm-hmm. to, to be making your own clothes? What was it about that that struck you? Really, I was, um, I went, I'm uh, an alumni of West Charlotte, so at that time, we called West Charlotte like the fashion school because everybody really put on. You know what I'm saying? They mm-hmm. they wanted to look good. They wanted to look mm-hmm. a certain way. Mm-hmm. But at the time, I was we were probably lower middle class at this time, so I couldn't really afford to buy all the things that I would see my peers wearing. So it was almost out of necessity. It was sure. like, how do I look cool like everybody else? Right. But do it on my dime. The mother of invention. Yeah. That's right. Wow, that's amazing. So that's like so so and the more you got into it and rolled your sleeves up and like really sort of like innovated in with fashion and got creative with it, you just started to fall more and more in love with that craft. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Did you have a sense like, oh, when I graduate and move on to college or whatever's next for me, like that's the path I want to take? Was it was it that serious? It was not, only because of Pressure, like familial pressures, right? Yeah. Because at that time, it's like there's no future in being a fashion anything. You better get to school and figure out what you're gonna do there. Right. And my aunt, uh, like I mentioned, my grandparents, they were on dirt roads till I was a, a, a tween, mm-hmm. and so. My aunt, she is an orthodontist, and so she went to Howard University and studied there, and she had her own practices, and so the benchmark was kind of laid out in front of me, like, if you want to be successful, you got to be like Aunt Carrie, Mm -hmm. and so that was the game plan. Mm -hmm. I was smart, and I knew that I could study anything and be relatively successful at it, so I had a scholarship going to Howard, and that was the game plan for like two and a half weeks, and then... I had a, I don't even know what you call that, a third life crisis? <laughs> <laughs> What's called an epiphany? An epiphany. We'll, we'll actually, While you were I like there, that. We're, we're going to put it into something more, a little bit more positive. Yes. So were you there for, you were at Howard for two weeks and then you just got, sort of got hit with this eureka moment, like, this is not for me. Absolutely. Like, so I was there in a class that I probably should not have even been able to sign up for because it had prerequisites and everything. And the first day of class, I'm sitting there and they're like, oh, hand in your homework. I said, I don't know anything about homework. (laughs) So I immediately got up and called my mom on the phone and I'm walking down the campus and I'm saying to her, mom, I don't know if this is for me. And she's like, well, something better be for you because you're there on scholarship. So (laughs) I then figured out and I tasked myself with what do you like? Mm -hmm. And because of that experience in high school where I was you know, making my headway in fashion and figuring that that whole thing out, it was like, that's it. That is what I would do if I made the choice to do it for myself. Yeah. And so the rest and, is... And, and then that. you found classes at Howard that sort of catered to that interest that was... That was- pulling you i got as close as possible yeah because howard does does not have a uh, design coursework and so they do have fashion merchandising which is more so the business side of fashion mm-hmm. but they had electives that kind of tip a toe into mm-hmm. design and sewing construction and thankfully enough i had enough foresight to be like if i'm going to be here for bio i'm still going to sign up for something that mm-hmm. i like so i was already signed up for a fashion illustration course which was really the the breakout yeah. of my whole career. Wow. And, and and at this point, I think I'm we should say after this, definitely go and watch Will's talk. Uh it's going to be the video of it will be um on the Creative Morning Charlotte webpage. 
Um, and we'll, we'll include a link to that in the show notes on this. Um, because, Will, you get into going up to a professor and saying, I want to have a fashion career. I want to be a fashion designer. Yeah. And that professor hit you with some knowledge right there. And what, what was that? So she told me, you better learn how to sew. And mm. so I, did, I had no intentions of sewing and actually constructing garments. Mm. I thought, oh, I could just draw them, especially once I got in fashion illustration. I saw a path, although that was kind of a dying art at the time. Mm-hmm. But she saw what I was bringing to the table, and she knew that there was more for me. Right. And I'm so grateful to her for that. Doreen Vernon, shout out. Doreen. <laughs> Professor Vernon. Well, yes. and and so that that brings me to a follow up question, which is we you know we encounter so many people, um, and in this case it's fashion, right? But they say I want to be an X, mm-hmm. um, I want to do this, I want to do that, I want to be a you know I want to be a hip hop artist, I want to be a, a poet, I want to be a mural artist, you know those kinds of things, and you f- you follow up and you're like, well, what are you doing to get yourself there? Yeah, and I would ask then, as you encounter people that say. I want to be, you know, I want to be a fashion designer. Yeah. What are some of those litmus tests? What are some of those mistakes that you see them making right off the bat? I think a lot of them don't really figure out their point of view first. Mm-hmm. It's like, why do you want to be a fashion designer? What makes what you do so unique that you feel the world needs exposure to it? Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't have the grounding in that, then you're just really one of many because there's so many people that have fashion brands right. and you know whether that's a t-shirt brand, whether that's something where you're screen printing, uh, there's so many people that want to do the same thing. So it's like, well, what makes you stand apart from everybody else? Right. And do you have that passion cuz you're going to need it when oh. you get past. I think um, in Obviously, when we talk to the average artist in Charlotte, most of them are not like, I want to be rich and famous, because you're like, all right, that's maybe problem number one. But um, <laughs> but they'll say, if, uh, if we ask some follow-up questions, they're like, yeah, I want to make a lot of money, or I want to be well-known. Hey, there's lots of paths to that. Yeah. But this one, fashion design, is fraught with its own challenges, and you better, in those cold, cold nights or those long sewing sessions, you better have passion to back that up. Yeah. Because if not, you'll, you'll quit. And I mean, if I'm being frank, I've quit twice. Mm. But it was never for too long. And it was that thing that just kept tapping me on my shoulder. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes it would even be my peers who would see the things that I had done. And they're like, well, why are you not doing this anymore? And yeah. really taking that to heart. And I, I, I won't ever quit again. Well, as someone who has quit before as well, I mean, my previous career was professional theater producing and I walked away from the theater industry at least twice yeah uh, for various reasons and I'm curious like those times that you quote-unquote quit mm-hmm. um, was it uh, was it burnout was it was it boredom was it I'm disenchanted with mm-hmm. this kind of work I mean what where, where do you think what what brought that quitting on the first one was definitely burnout. Mm-hmm. Right before graduation from Howard, I was doing a lot of work for people. And it, I also, again, was grossly undercharging. So I remember the last experience that I had was I had to do four gowns in five days. And the oh. delivery was the fifth day. It was ridiculous. And I was also going to the event that was on the fifth day. And so I was telling myself during it, I'm not doing any of this anymore. And so... The year after I went to uh, South Korea and taught English out there. Oh, wow. So I said, I'm not touching a sewing machine. I'm not bringing a sewing machine. I'm done with it. And 
I was so inspired by all the clothes out there. Yeah. I ran back to my sewing machine once I wow. got back stateside. You needed new inspiration. Yeah. You needed a, a whole new lens to be looking at that work through. Yes. And I'll tell you, it was probably one of the greatest things for me because the from the time that I ended to the time that I started again, the work was exponentially better. And yeah. I'd done nothing except for sit and teach kids. Wow. Well, I think those those creative motors are always working in the back of your mind. Yeah. Somewhere. And sometimes that's where the best work happens, even when you're not aware of it, I think. I what you brought up a really interesting point, and it's I'm sure you got in that that situation four dresses in five five days. Because you said yes. That sounds yes. like a rom-com, by the way. Four, Four dresses, dresses five, five days, days. Starring Kate Winslet and Anne Hathaway. <laughs> <laughs> you know. You see, I got the montage sequence in my head already, so uh, uh, sorry to interrupt. No, no, it, it actually does. Um, but through that process, through experiences like that, what have you learned about when to say yes and when to say no? Because we all have that fear I'm gonna say no, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden the spigot's gonna turn off. Yeah, and yeah that you're leaving money will on the table. Never yes. come around. Mm-hmm. I think it wasn't until I got a little older and was able to finally secure a bit of a nest egg for myself, where I wasn't so desperate for mm-hmm. money. Mm-hmm. And then I started really cherry picking the things that I wanted to do based off of the experience that I had had with the things that I didn't want to do. Mm-hmm. So like the you know the client that is gonna try to make their own design, but have you as the beacon of mm-hmm. their design. And it's like, right. I, I don't do that. Like, I'm an actual designer, and I had taken those things or taken those moments where people just wanted a copy of what someone else did out of monetary necessity. And I had mm-hmm. to tell myself, no, I'm not doing any of that. It wasn't until I created the standard for myself that I started saying no to the things that didn't fit with that. Yeah. That gets back to your rules. So you made rules for yourself about mm-hmm. the work you want. Mm-hmm. And the work that you don't want. Yeah. And I guess I would ask then as a follow up, what is that creative spark, you know, a, uh, as a creative, what is the difference in how you feel about doing a, doing a hired project for somebody that maybe you're not passionate about, but then doing what you want to do, you know, creating what you want to create? How does that, how's that different for you? It harkens back to what you said about making sure that that passion is there. Because if it's something that you're lit up about, And, you know, really money becomes no object. If you are sparked by something that you really wanted to create, then those late nights will come and they won't even phase you because it's like, oh, I really want to do this. Mm -hmm. I really want to create this new thing with this partner or or person that has come to me for the commission versus the person who is just like kind of the workhorse commission. Those nights get long and it's like, well... I've I've done what I've been paid for, and mm-hmm. that's where it stops. I, yep. And before we move on, I just want to I want to thank you um, for making that distinction because so many creatives that we talk to when they're at the beginning of their career, um, there's some I don't know. We, there's an undertone that taking work for hire is somehow icky, or it's not artistic, or it's like it's, it's just not it's, it's selling out. And you very clearly said, look, you do that to create the foundation for yourself so that then you can you know the difference between what you want to do and what you don't want to do. Absolutely. Yeah. Get someone else to pay you for your ten thousand hours yes. that you've got to put into learning your craft. That's the best way to, to do it, frankly. Absolutely. I absolutely agree. Well, from my standpoint, you're one of the most prolific creatives in Charlotte. I mean, you're constantly 
creating. You're constantly putting work out into the world. Um, and you've done a lot of different types of work. I mean, hey, you know how to sew now. You're yes. an illustrator. You're a designer. You're a visionary. So you've done everything from custom book bag prototypes, gowns, outerwear. You designed your wi- your, your own wife's wedding dress. Amazing. Which yes. is incredible. <laughs> Made the rest of us look really... I know. We, we, can't, com- we can't compete with that. We can't compete. We can't comp- There's just no way. But um, is there a type of piece or a type of... Um, I don't know, clothing that you're, you get the most excited about, uh, that you're feeling like, oh, this is the path I want to go for. I want to focus on this niche or something. Or is it, does the scope stay really wide for you? I, that's funny that you asked that because I was just thinking to myself about this the other day. Mm-hmm. And I'm in a really good gown moment. Mm-hmm. Like, I've had some gown commissions that have really sparked some new ideas for me that I, I think the sky's the limit. I just love them. Yeah. Yeah. And how do those commissions come in? I mean, is it word of mouth or, right? And it's like, I have, a, I have this big event I'm going to. I want uh, to create a custom gown for, for this event. It has been specifically word of mouth since I started. It's the best. Wow. Yeah. I have not marketed myself in this way at all to anyone. So and what's, yeah. So what's the dream? Like, is it Michelle Obama commissions a gown from Will White? Is that the dream? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Mrs. Obama comes to me, and we are making some magic. That's it. You better believe it. <laughs> let's let's flip that script. Let's say it's, Mrs. you know, that Mrs. Obama begs Will <laughs> to make. I have to have I, that. I see it. I got the vision. Although I don't, Michelle don't beg. So <laughs> I, that's that's a real fantasy. That's up there with, with, with Star Wars. So you've had such a, a big couple of years. Yeah. What? What's something that you've been really wanting to do that you haven't gotten the chance to to work on yet? So now on my radar is, and I'm I'm actually starting some conversations soon. Mm-hmm. I would love to do some type of high fashion event here in Charlotte mm-hmm. that really breaks the mold on what fashion events look like mm-hmm. locally, and I want to bring that that arc to to our city. I I have to say I think the timing is really right. Between what you've done and what Davida Galloway has been working on, yes, um, Charlotte has been sleeping on the fashion scene here for too long. Yeah, I think your timing is absolutely impeccable. Mm-hmm. Um, why? Why do you think? I would ask that. Why do you think that Charlotte's fashion scene, despite having so much talent, has been so underrated uh, for so long? I think because we have. We have such a dichotomy of, of people here. Mm-hmm. We have people who could not care less about fashion or how they look. They just want to have clothes that fit. And then you have some people who are really fashion forward and really want to push the envelope. And I think if that latter number kind of eased to the front, Charlotte could be a fashion city really, really quickly. Mm-hmm. I could not agree more. Like I feel like that's going to become one of the headlines uh, for the Queen City is its role in, in fashion. And even folks like Laura Vinrupool at Capital and Pool Shop and Tabor, like her and her team are on the, the bleeding edge of pushing those boundaries here in Charlotte, too, just by representing those, those lines and those brands. Very yes. special to have that here. I, I think part of it, too, is Charlotte tends to, and this is my experience creeping in, but we, we, we tend to keep building or looking at what boomers and now I can say it, Gen Xers want. And we're not realizing that especially younger millennials and Generation Z, they are the leaders, right? And not, not far into the future. We're talking five, five years from now. Mm-hmm. And my kids, take as example, like 
if if they're not at least fashionistas, they're very aware yes. of of fashion and and are you know when um, the Met bot you know gala comes on, they they pay attention to that kind of stuff. And I think your point is we're we're thinking of what the older parts of Charlotte want when really the demand is there yeah. from the people that are moving here, building their careers, and are excited to be in Charlotte on the fashion end. Absolutely. Well, I think the way I'd love to wrap up our conversation is to stay on the topic of Charlotte. Mm-hmm. Um, how is Charlotte treating you? Do you find it to be a collaborative, creative ecosystem? And um, I don't know, like what, what, what do you want to see for Charlotte's creative scene? I feel as if Charlotte has really started to take note of who I am Mm -hmm. in a really positive way. Mm -hmm. And I think the difference was sewing is such solitary work. I'm literally just sewing on my machine by myself. I might have one client come in. And it wasn't until I made the switch of looking for that exposure in our city to where it's like, if you build it, they will come kind of situation. Getting involved. Yeah, getting involved. And so I think because I've done that, I'm starting to see the city open up in a brand new way for me as far as opportunity, as far as where I can go with what I do. It's amazing to me that when you, and we see it time and time again, when you pour yourself into your community, the way it opens up and, and goes back into you is absolutely incredible. And you're right both the work that you do, but so many other uh, different disciplines where and crafts where it is solitary work. It's very isolated work. Mm-hmm. And so you got to get out there and be part of the community or it will drain you. Yes. Yeah, I, th- I think it's it's just another way that of, of learning even. You know, I... That it is creativity can be, and artistic pursuits are, as you both said, very isolating. Um, and that's not only from a social and, you know, kind of human perspective, but... You you only learn by being exposed to new things, yes. or by as you've talked about many times, failing, trying things, hitting roadblocks, bouncing off that roadblock, and trying again. Um, and so I, I do think the people in Charlotte, the creatives that I have seen, really have exponential growth in their careers are those that have collaborated with others, that have gotten yeah. out there. Um, and it's not just reputation; it's exposure to new ideas, sharing best practices. Yes, um, and. That's, I don't know. I feel like that's Charlotte's superpower. You know, people will say, "What's our identity?" I, calm down; it'll yeah. present itself. <laughs> We're a very young city, if we're being really honest. Absolutely. And honest, and and when when the banks started coming here, and 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 it was almost like they hit the redo switch. So we're only about forty years old. If we're, you know, I'm yeah. sure some people will take issue with that because <laughs> there was a Charlotte before. But what would you, what advice would you give then if there's a, a young creative that's either moving here? moving back here and wanting to start their career, what would you tell them, hey, you you need to do these things to become who you can be? I would say the the first thing that you have to do is kind of get acquainted to what's going on in the city. And start showing up to those places, start meeting people, because it's really difficult to create in any type of vacuum. And I feel as if once you get around like-minded people, and it doesn't even necessarily have to be in your specific discipline, but you will start to get inspired in brand new ways. Myself being at the Vapa Center now, I'm around so many visual artists that it colors what I do with my textile art. And I I think I would not have had that opportunity had I not been in the mix with new people and other creative people that I could bounce things off of and vice versa. I think that you bring up such an important point because 
I think all of us working together have have gotten the city aware of the space problem mm-hmm. for creatives, but it's not just triage. It's not, oh, I have a I have a spare closet. They can create there. It's in places like VAPA, yes. McCall Center, Charlotte Art League. They've provided space but community yes. as well. And I think that's what you're talking about at VAPA. It's it's not just that you have your own studio. That could be anywhere. Yeah. It's that you're part of a community there. And that's the beautiful thing about it. Yeah. Well, Will White or shall I say Junie White. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Junie 2. Junie, Junie the sequel. Junie 2. Electric, Electric Boogaloo. Boogaloo. I yes, know. I knew, yeah, I I knew, that knew was you were going to say Junie 2, Electric Boogaloo. Um, we're so glad you're a part of this creative community. We're glad for everything you give to this creative community and the way you inspire us. Um, so keep giving your gifts and doing your work because I do see that Michelle Obama uh, commission it's in, in the near future. I really, really do. Your lips to God's ears. Yeah. Or something, I, you know, there you you are among that that handful of creatives that truly, we believe, someday we're going to say that, you know, God, we knew him at that stage and that you're a household name for all the right reasons. So I, I would just say to thank you for what you've given us because to do the work that we do, can can get tiring as well. It can be isolating in its own sort of way, um, but getting to know you over the last year has been rejuvenating uh, for us as well. It's it's truly been a privilege. Well, we and if it's not obvious, we love you. So thank y'all. I love y'all so much. I have withdrawals from work. <laughs> yes, <laughs> then we're gonna have to keep finding ways. Gotta find to find new work ways together. to collaborate. Come on, exactly. Thank All you, right. Will. Thank y'all. QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com. dot com.